Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Matthew chapter 28. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, Behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to, the, to his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money. And did as they had been instructed, and this story was widely spread among the Jews as to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God and Father, we call upon you, since all fullness of wisdom and light is found in you, mercifully enlighten us by your Holy Spirit. In the true understanding of your word, give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. May we be taught by your word to place our trust only in you, to serve and honor you as we ought, so that we may glorify your holy name in all our living, and teach our neighbor by our good example, rendering to you the love and the obedience which faithful servants owe their masters and children their parents, since it has pleased you graciously to receive us among the number of your servants and children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, I told my family that this was going to be a weird sermon this morning. Because it's not my typical style. This is more of a topical sermon than it is expositional. I mean, 98% of my sermons are expositional, but today it's, it's more topical. 
And so we won't just walk right through Matthew 28 and pick it apart, but we'll be bouncing around from uh, chapter to chapter. But this is the day when especially we focus on Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so that's our focus today. So stop and put your minds on that reality that Jesus rose from the dead. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, told his disciples that he would be crucified and then three days later he would rise from the dead. He told them that many times. I mean, we could go through the Gospels, we'd find that he was saying that quite a bit, and they did not really get it. They had no idea what he meant when he mentioned those three days. In the Gospel of Luke, we read this, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, he will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon, and after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, from this side of things. That's very clear. But the disciples understood none of these things, and this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying when he made those statements about his death and resurrection. The apostles didn't understand what was going to happen, even though Jesus explicitly laid it out for them. And so that, that explains the apostles being scattered when Jesus was crucified. And it explains their refusal to believe uh, poor Mary Magdalene when she comes and tells them, right, and, and uh, that she's seen the Lord after he's been crucified and buried, which we read about in Mark's gospel. They don't believe her. They didn't get what was coming. After his resurrection then, the Lord meets with his apostles and gives these delighted apostles who are coming now to understand all the things that Jesus had said, had taught them, and he comes giving them their marching orders. They're going to have work to do from here on out. And so from that point on, the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes their theme. That is what they talk about. That is what they preach about. Look uh, look at the, and we're going to spend a little time now in the book of Acts. Look at the preaching that is recorded in the book of Acts. That chronicle of the, the early church of the Acts of the Apostles. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 at verse 22. Here's a sermon by the Apostle Peter. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. 
And Peter goes on, he says, Brethren, I, pray, I may confidently say to you that regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. So that's the first sermon that's recorded in the book of Acts, and it's all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts 3, after Peter heals a man who had been born lame since birth, he preaches again while he was clinging to Peter, that man who was healed in John All the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, he preaches, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life. Then listen, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Then the next day, the apostles get dragged before the authorities for their, their good deeds, right? And then there's this, Acts 4 verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builder's, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Then in response to the council, after the council gets slapped down by the apostle Peter, the response to the council when they are detained for not uh, obeying the decree to stop preaching Jesus, there's this in Acts 5. When they had brought them, They stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you have put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And then Peter in the house of Cornelius, he preaches this, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, 
How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible not to all people but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And so the apostles, as as we take Peter as a pattern. We're very careful to preach about Jesus Christ, the man who died and then rose from the dead. Right? That, that amazing historical fact, that amazing historical fact was at the heart of the preaching of the apostles. It was an astonishing thing. Many would, would hear it and think it outlandish. Many would th- think they were crazy. As many or, you know, um, should I say most do today, if you believe such things, if you speak of such things. There was a day in the life of the Apostle Paul when he was, he was in the great city of Athens, right? And Athens, you know, the Mars Hill and the Areopagus and all that stuff. You know, the philosophers would gather and they loved to hear about new things. And do you remember what it was that the Apostle Paul said that intrigued these philosophers that, that liked to hear and contemplate new things? Do you remember what it was? Well, here's how the passage reads, Acts 17, 18. And also some of the Epicurean Stoic philosophers would, were conversing with the Apostle Paul. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? With their noses in the air. Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. Because, and this is what it says, he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He was preaching to them about the resurrection. He goes right into the middle of of the, the, the greatest department of philosophy in the world, and he starts talking about Jesus. I knew this man. I met him. He died and rose again. He finishes his sermons to those philosophers with these words about, you guessed it, the resurrection. Here's what he says. God is now declaring to men that all men everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That's the proof that Jesus will come again and you'll have to do with Jesus. He rose from the dead. And the scripture then says this about the response of the crowds and those philosophers. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, Some began to sneer. And others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, 
But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So the, the historical account we read about in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus being crucified, dying, and then three days later coming back to life and being resurrected from death was the heart of the message preached by those apostles who, spent, who had spent time with Jesus himself. Jesus had spoken of it openly while he was with them and they just didn't get it. Then it happened and it became the core of what those men understood and taught. Right? J. How, does, how do I say it? Machen. Machen's middle name. You corrected the pronunciation. Gresham. You don't pronounce the H, right? Gresham Machen. He, he said this. He said, 1900 years ago, there lived in an obscure corner of the Roman Empire one who would have seemed to a superficial observer to be a remarkable man. He engaged in a career of religious teaching accompanied by a ministry of healing. At first, he had the favor of the crowd, but since he would not be the kind of leader the people demanded, he soon fell victim to the jealousy of the rulers of his people and to the cowardice of the Roman governor. He died the death of criminals on that day on the cross. At his death, his followers were discouraged. They had evidently been far inferior to him in discernment and in courage, and now what little courage they may have had was gone. His death meant the destruction of all their hopes. Never, one might have said, was a movement more completely dead than the movement which had been begun by Jesus of Nazareth. Then, however, the surprising thing happened. It is a fact of history which no real historian denies. That those same weak, discouraged men... The followers of Jesus began within a very short time after the shameful death of their leader in Jerusalem, the scene of their cowardly flight, the most remarkable religious movement that the world has ever known, the movement commonly called the Christian church. At first, that movement was obscure, but it spread like wildfire. In a few decades at the most, it was firmly planted in the chief cities of the civilized world and in Rome itself. After a lapse of less than three centuries, it conquered the Roman Empire. Incalculable has been its influence upon the whole history of the world. What caused that remarkable change in those followers of Jesus? What caused those weak and cowardly men suddenly to become the spiritual conquerors of the world? At that point, the difference of opinion arises. Yet even with regard to that point, there is a certain measure of agreement it is now admitted by historians, both Christian and non-Christian, that followers of Jesus became the founders of what is commonly known as the Christian church because they became honestly convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. But what in turn produced that conviction? What produced the belief of the first disciples in the resurrection of Christ? There is... This is where the difference of opinion comes in, he says. One last paragraph. The New Testament, of course, has a perfectly clear answer to the question. The belief of the disciples in the resurrection, according to the New Testament, was simply due to the fact of 
the resurrection. (laughs) Those disciples came to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead for the simple reason that Jesus had risen from the dead. He had risen from the dead and they had not only seen his empty tomb, but had seen him himself alive after his death on the cross. I mean, what a simple statement, no? The amazing zeal of the apostles after Jesus' death can only be explained by the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. They had been offended by the cross, remember? Shortly before this, they had been offended by the cross, right? The resurrection took away all of that offense. They had been scattered by the cross. The resurrection brought them all back together. You know, they had had been dejected by the cross. The resurrection unbridled their joy. The Apostle John says, what was from the beginning... What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father And with his son, Jesus Christ, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Right? John is emphasizing that he's seen and heard and he's he's giving to you what he's seen and heard. Now listen to this from our our main man, the theologian Herman Bovink. Here's what he says. The resurrection of Christ was an enormously important constituent of the faith of the church. Without that faith, it would never have started. All the disciples had been offended by the cross. When Jesus was taken prisoner and killed, they had fled and gone into hiding, but their faith revived when they learned that Jesus had risen. They were not able to reconsider his whole life. They were were now able to reconsider his whole life in light of the resurrection. They now understood how he had been anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, how his words, works, wonders bore witness to his Messiahship, how he had to die according to God's counsel, and how by his resurrection Jesus had been appointed Lord and Christ, leader and judge. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, that historical fact, must be at the center of our teaching and preaching. Why? Because just as Christianity makes no sense without the cross, like I said on Friday, Christianity makes no sense without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If there was no life for Christ, if there was no life for Christ after a perfect life and a gruesome death, well, then there's nothing. There's nothing. It accomplished nothing. Christianity is centered in history and actual facts. It is not a secret, you know, a secret society based upon unshareable, stupid facts. It is based upon historical facts that eyes saw and mortal men experienced. Events that took place in this world by the God who created this world. 
Now, there's a tendency in evangelicalism and in American Christianity, maybe Christianity around the world, certainly in our own hearts, there is this tendency, and this is nothing new in the history of the church, to detach the Christian faith from history, to just dehistoricize the faith. Over a hundred years ago, many in the Presbyterian Church in America, victims of modernism, were denying that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was the clergy. And in American evangelicalism, there has been a movement that has dehistoricized the faith to the point that it doesn't really matter if these things happened in, in history. It doesn't really matter if, if they actually happened 2,000 or so years ago. Because, you know, I've got Jesus as my co-pilot, and, and he's a peach. He's, he's a peach. Jesus is, to many, just an emotional pacifier that merely allows them to get some spiritual vibes on during this life. Jesus in many evangelical churches is simply reduced to a vibrant example of a man who is really really deep, right? Who had a really deep God consciousness. He's a good reason for the season, you know. A good reason to feast and celebrate, and, and I'm not about to give up my childhood traditions because I like those Christmas cookies that have the frosting on them. Right? He's a good reason for nostalgia. Some researchers paid by LifeWay say that 20% of Christians believe the bodily resurrection of Jesus did not occur. 20% of Christians believe that the bodily resurrection of Jesus didn't occur. And 14% aren't really sure. That's one-third of the people they polled. One-third of the Christians they polled. Do those same people know that Scripture says that if you, they don't believe that, that they will not be saved on the day of judgment? Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do they know that Scripture says that if the dead are not raised, the whole gospel is vain and foolish. We just read that in 1 Corinthians 15. Calvin, John Calvin says, Scorners will treat as a fairy tale what the evangelists relate as history. 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 And you know what? The, the Apostle Paul makes an extraordinary argument to provoke those who will not believe that it could have happened. He looks to the seed. Did you notice that in, when, when I read 1 Corinthians 15 earlier? He looks to the seed, right? And he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, you fool. <laughs> A good way, to, good way to soften up the people you're speaking to. You fools. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. In that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. 
But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. And so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. In other words, he points out something that is functionally dead, but that we put into the ground and new life comes from it. Right? He uses that as an analogy, and it's an amazing thing. And so this scripture argues you have seen this countless times. You've seen it in your own lives. Every field you've ever gone by has been an example of the resurrection from the dead. And so why do you find it hard to believe when it comes to Jesus Christ or to any person that has died and is planted in the ground? Now, I've been taking time to make you think on the reasonableness of the idea of resurrection and, and because of its historical nature, the historical nature of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it took place in time. Here are some conclusions I'd like to draw from this. First, the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the core of the Christian faith. Okay, duh. Can we all just collectively say duh? One may not deny this history and call oneself a Christian. You can't deny the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and remain orthodox. You become a heretic. History, because of the incarnation and the resurrection and the second coming of Christ, means more history, means more to Christians than to any other cultists or any other followers of false deity, deities. History means a lot to Christians. Two, but one might believe even in the historical facts and not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Strange, unexplainable things happen all the time. We can't even understand light as wave and particle. I mentioned Romans 10.9 earlier. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice that there are two elements in that statement about what it means to be saved. First, believing God raised Jesus from the dead. You must believe that. But two, confessing with your mouth, i.e. believing and expressing, Jesus as what? Lord. My voice just cracked. Lord. I suppose there have been some who might believe that Jesus' resurrection was one of those, you know, just unexplained phenomenon uh, or even a miracle. But if they believe that and deny that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that, that more than just he, he, incidentally dying and rising, he laid down his life and he took up his life as Lord, well then, he doesn't have saving faith. One cannot be saved with just knowledge of doctrines alone. One must believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, believing historical facts. Having just a historical faith is not the same thing as having a saving faith. 
right? The one who died and rose was not just an extraordinary man who experienced some strange things. No, you must believe that the one who died and rose was the Son of God. The prophesied Messiah, the one who came at the fullness of time, the firstborn from the dead. He is the eternal Son of God who is well-pleasing to the eternal Father. He's the creator who has existed before all time. And he is to the friend and savior of sinners. Of those creatures he made who have groped about in the darkness since Adam's fall. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Notice he says, he doesn't say those who believe that the resurrection happened. He says those who believe in me, the one who was raised from the dead. Third, speak of the one who is dead and who is then alive, but don't stop there. So if you're witnessing, speak of the one who is dead and then who is alive. Follow the pattern of the apostles. Look, there was a man who died and he, he was alive, but you just can't stop there. Don't stop there. Modern life would, you know, should have firmly convinced you, right, that people will believe anything. Right? Modern life should have convinced you that people will believe anything. There are some who are convinced that the earth is flat. Raise your hands. <laughs> Zeke. There are some who are convinced that the moon landing was a hoax. Add a few more hands. Right? There are some who are convinced that we, we evolved from apes. There are some who are convinced that babies in the womb are not persons. Herod was convinced Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead. And, and there are some who are convinced that men can menstruate. There are some who are convinced that we're just in an experiment of aliens. Some believe that we'll inhabit our own planet someday. There are some who are convinced that, strangely enough, football is a better sport than baseball. People will believe anything, right? You've met people who believe strange things. So speak of the one who is dead and who is alive, and they, you, may, you may hook a few people, you know? Well, I know this dude who, you know, he had surgery and he was on the table and they didn't have a heartbeat for three minutes. Yeah, I know someone too who rose from the dead. And so you have to speak of the one who is dead and who is alive, but then you have to speak about who that person was and is. He's the one slain before the foundation of the world. He is the Logos, the Word. He is the Creator, and He's the Savior of the world sent by His Father to save you. Yes, there is a God. He is triune, the Father and the Son. He died and rose, and all of this was according to the plan of God. Or 
of course, were just dirt that got organized by light and heat over the course of a million years. And your value and your dignity are, are no more than the dirt you wash off your car with a hose. Fourth, the resurrection furnished proof that Jesus was the Son of God. Romans 1.4 says Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by or as a result of the resurrection from the dead. This proved that Jesus was the Son of God. The resurrection furnished that proof. He was God, the Holy Spirit. Now listen, the Holy Spirit can convince you of this. The Holy Spirit can convince you of this. Five, these beliefs about Christ and about his death and resurrection are what it means to be a Christian. That you attend church, that you had a memory of, da- a, 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 you know, a memory of some religious experience, that you had a mommy or daddy who believed, that you prefer the morality of Christendom to the morality of secular, secularism, right? That you are civilized and self-controlled, that you read the Bible, that you know your neighbors and care for them, that you drive the speed limit and refrain from cussing, that you have been baptized, does not mean you are a Christian. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Do you love Christ? Do you trust Jesus Christ? Do you entrust your heart? and soul and mind to Christ Jesus as your Lord and God. Do you? If you do, then you're a Christian. Six, those of you who do entrust yourself, who who know or are known by God, rejoice on this day, this resurrection day. Rejoice! You cannot be depressed on Easter Sunday. It is forbidden. Rejoice every Sabbath day when we meet on the Lord's day, on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the day of resurrection. Hear these two scriptures, so close with these. Philippians 3, But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, that I may go after in the same way that he went. And then 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. 
so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may, f- may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. 